This episode is brought to you by Under Armour Combine. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The Giants win the first ever Sydney Derby. Go the Giants. Igish Fontek claims her first US Open title and Sue Bird says an emotional farewell to basketball. For our key story, we'll discuss Steph Gilmore's journey to goatness. Goat on a surfboard, please. Darcy, please. we're looking at you. Thank you. In a rash vest. In a ra- that's good. That's hard to do. Maybe even a swimming cap? It's I don't think they wear the swimming caps in the surf. But a goat might. A goat might. Sometimes they wear helmets when they surf in the big waves of com- consequence. It's a hard word. It's a hard word. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in Rugby Sevens and I play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, Bez, who is head of research in all things operations at the Female Athlete Project. We're recording. It's a little bit different this week. We're doing a Sunday night recording with red wine in our mugs. Giving away secrets. Oh, I'm not mad about it. Trade secrets. It's a lot different. I haven't bought any baked goods, but I bought Graped goods. Wow. Oh, Oh, no. It's going to be a long night. (laughs) Oh, that's good. It was actually pretty good on demand. Thanks. Yeah, it was quite good. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. and also comes in email newsletter format. We've got an amazing team behind the scenes that pull it all together. So make sure you hit subscribe via the link in our show notes. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. Let's take a look around the grounds. In tennis, on Sunday morning, Poland's Iga Świątek claimed her first US Open title, beating Tunisia's Anjabur in straight sets, 6-2-7-6. It was her second Grand Slam victory of the season and the 21 – I can't believe she's only 21. Yeah, she plays with such composure, doesn't she? She's just very laid back for mm. a 21-year-old. She looks super comfortable holding down the top spot in the women's game. The performance was in front of a huge and very loud New York crowd. Um, There was a lot of emotions in that New York crowd across the tournament with Serena, Nick Kyrgios. There was a lot going on. I don't want to be that person that says, oh, you've been there. But I have. Did you almost fall down? It was so steep. It was very steep, but it is a different tennis environment, New York. Mm, Not as many rules and regulations. Someone was getting a haircut in the crowd. Oh, my goodness. And they just, they wander around midpoint because- you know, their honeydew melon cocktails finished and they need to get a new one. Um, I don't even know where I'm up to, but she was very um, – our mate, Sviontek, was very composed in front of the pretty crazy crowd and she displayed qualities well beyond her years. She was powerful in the, ver- in the first set, but Jabir stepped up her game in the second and took it all the way to a tie break. The world number one Sviontek held her nerve to win her third major – adding to her two French Opens that were won in 2022 and 2020. After the match, she highlighted the atmosphere. She said, this tournament was really challenging because it's New York. It's so loud. It's so crazy. So good. I don't know what my accent was just then. It was weird. Definitely not Polish. No, or American. Prior to the tournament, Sviontek was critical of the different size of tennis ball used. We chatted about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on The Wrap. Mm. It does seem like she managed to get used to the lighter balls. I think, what are they, two to three grams lighter? Yeah. Which, for someone doing thousands of repetitions of something, makes a difference, right? Huge difference. Imagine yeah. if you kicked a footy for a whole year mm. and then for one game you play with a different size footy. Silly. 
It doesn't make sense to me. Her heavy topspin forehand allowed her to take charge from the baseline in the final, and she really controlled the tempo and the trajectory of the points. She ran Jabir all over the court and never really allowed her to use the sort of spins and variety that she relies so heavily on. Shviontek thanked her box on court saying, you guys know how tough it was basically. And I'm pretty certain I gave you all a hard time. You're the ones who are smarter and know what to do, even though I'm stubborn. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. So thank you. Love that. It's typical athlete response to that because you are elite athletes. You're all stubborn and driven. You have to be. I like that she just called it out and put her hand up. In some excellent Australian tennis news, John Pierce and Storm Sanders became the first Australian since 2001 to claim the US Open mixed doubles titles title with a 4-6-6-4-10-7 win over Belgian Kirsten Flipkins and France's Edouard Roger Vasselin. It was their first Grand Slam title as a team and Sanders was pumped to be on Arthur Ashe Stadium. She said after the match, I can't believe we're Grand Slam champions. To play on the biggest court in the world is a very memorable experience. We'll be back next year. They had one of the best in the stands cheering them on in Stam Sto- Stam Stoza. Stam Stoza. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind it. Sam Stoza and Sanders. It's confusing. There's a lot of S's. There's a lot of alliteration there. Lisp. Called her out post-match saying, it's a pleasure to play in front of a champion like you. I love that respect. It's cool. It is. Here for it. In NRLW, in the battle of the undefeated sides, it was the Sydney Roosters that got the win and secured the minor premiership on Sunday. The Roosters skipped out to an early 10-0 lead after only eight minutes, but a huge second half from the Newcastle forward pack resulted in a late try to Caitlin Johnston, who crashed over with only 10 minutes to go to give the Knights the lead. But there was a few minutes left on the clock, and Rooster Isabel Kelly picked up a loose pass from the Knights and raced 80 metres to cross from meat pie and take the Roosters to an 18 to 16 victory. That's a clutch play. Heartbreak for the Knights. Mm. There was some controversy leading into the match with Newcastle Knight and Australian rep Caitlin Moran playing off the bench. Moran is currently being investigated by NRL for allegedly posting a slur about the Queen following the monarch's death. The post that was on her Instagram account for a number of hours before being deleted allegedly celebrated the fact that the Queen had passed away. I think we might be hearing a little bit more about that in the weeks to come. I didn't see the post myself, but if what I've seen is legit, it's um, a bit ordinary. In a first for the NRLW, the St. George Dragons got a much-needed win in extra time. Rachel Pearson drained a field goal, which saw the Dragons clinch the first ever NRLW golden point finish against the Broncos. Cool. Brisbane drew level in the final minute when Ali Brigginshaw crossed under the sticks before Taryn Aitken's conversion tied it up at 18-all. Brigginshaw actually had the first crack at winning in extra time after the Broncos took the kickoff and marched up the field, but her attempt at field goal fell just short. The win was the Dragons' third of the year, and they've got a massive match coming up against the Knights in the third game of next weekend's triple header at Central Coast Stadium. Love a triple header. In AFLW, the first ever Sydney derby was played on the weekend, and the GWS Giants were the first to earn bragging rights. Before we get into that. Yeah, I know where you're going you, here. You, I was seeing you. Derby or derby? Derby. We, my team got quizzed about it. I, I say it. Derby. I, I was a bit unsure for a while. I'd definitely say Derby, yeah, I yeah. think, because you forced me to. <laughs> I'm going to put a poll to the people on Instagram. Yeah, I think so. Let the people speak. I think Derby is a very Victorian, maybe Western Australian thing. But also name another word in the English language where the E is an A. 
Oh, come on. English sucks. English is, that's what I mean. English is stupid, but why is it Derby? I don't know, because the rats are mainly playing it to Derby. <laughs> I'm right. Amazing. <laughs> Back to the Giants. The Giants were exceptional at the SCG, winning nine goals, 11, 65, our highest score ever, actually, to two goals, six, 18. Uh, Giants debutant Zali Goldsworthy kicked two goals in the match, and the 17 year old is, she's awesome. She's just got this real flair about her. She just kicks these check side goals off the side of her boot like she's been when, doing it for a long time. What about when she ignored Cora? Didn't mind it. She's got she's got a bit of confidence on her. I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I think Cora was just standing there, but she's like, no, I'm, I'm having this. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was quite good. She's um and I think for Cora Staunton, for those who don't know, Irish royalty who plays at the Giants, recently kicked her 50th AFLW goal in six seasons. I think for Cora, it takes a little bit of pressure off her in the forward line, having young kids like Zali coming through and, and taking a bit of bit more of the footy and allowing Cora some space. Speaking of Cora Staunton, she also kicked two goals. Um, it was also Indigenous round this weekend. So all 18 teams were wearing their Indigenous jerseys and a welcome to country scheduled for the start of each match. But on Friday night, the pregame between the Western Bulldogs and Fremantle was changed last minute when the person scheduled to deliver the welcome to country withdrew after learning of the AFL's decision to have a minute silence for the Queen. As players from both Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs stood together in arms, Culture is Life CEO Belinda Duarte took the microphone to announce the last minute change following Her Majesty's passing in the early hours of Friday morning. She said, unfortunately, due to sorry business, a welcome to country was unable to be conducted today. We send our deepest condolences to the families who have been affected by this and with respect to families and community, we stand in silence with you also today. Together we play in honour and celebration of First Peoples across this country. Off the back of that, the AFL made a decision to scrap plans to hold a minute's silence before remaining AFLW matches due to associated cultural insensitivities. So a lot of the clubs, I think, from there had written to the AFL in agreement with this fact that there shouldn't be a minute silence, particularly during Indigenous round. And so the the memo to the 18 clubs the AFL wrote, as AFL season seven rounds three and four are Indigenous rounds, all existing plans to respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples will proceed as planned. Thoughts? I think a really good outcome. And I think really good the, the fact that the clubs all kind of approached the AFL and said for Indigenous round, we don't think it's appropriate to be doing this. Absolutely agree. In cycling, Aussie cyclist Grace Brown is in the perfect form for a big showing at the World Championships, which are coming up this weekend. Brown won the third stage of the Sarazit Challenge by La Vuelta in Spain with a clever sprint from a two-woman group. Brown caught Elise Shabby on the line after two riders opened up a gap in the last eight kilometres of the stage and held off the slightly disorganised chase group to contest the finish. It's perfect timing for Brown, who will be looking to deliver Australia a world title in the opening event of the UCI World Road Championships in Wollongong next week. The Women's Elite Time Trial event will be held on Sunday, September 18, and launches the two-week world champs. In an historic first, the women's and men's races will be exactly the same length and use the same 34.2-kilometre city circuit course. We love that. Organisers of the Wollongong World Championships sought and received approval from the UCI to equalise the men's and women's time trial, which can sometimes differ in length by up to 20 kilometres. Particularly for cycling, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I totally agree. I love that perplexed look on your face. (laughs) 
Happens often. <laughs> Happens often. <laughs> Always learning. Australian cycling champion Kate Bates highlighted the change, saying it is a really historic moment for the time trial at the World Champs because it is the first time ever that the men and the women will race the same distance over the same course. That's never happened before. That's huge. The second element to that is the women are actually going first. And so it's the women's elite time trial that opens the whole championships. I think that's really symbolic. It is a huge sign of respect for the athletes and for showing that they are supporting gender equity. Beyond being a home crowd advantage, it is a real moment in history for all of the athletes involved, but also for the Australians who get to be a part of that very symbolic change in programming. We love that. Go Grace Brown. In rugby, the World Cup Sevens is being played in South Africa and at the time of recording, the Aussies are about to come up against the US in the semifinal. So we're Sunday night right now, Sunday night semifinal, and then it's the final Monday, early hours of Monday morning. Yeah, I think so the semis at 9.05 p.m. PM, and then the I think the final's 3 a.m.-ish. Anyway, when you're listening to this podcast, it already will have happened. So fingers crossed for the Aussies, if they can knock the U.S. off in the semi, they'll come up against either the Kiwis or France in the final. They had a really solid quarterfinal win over England, 35-5, to with Faith Nathan scoring a hat trick. Early in the tournament, they provided one of the most wholesome moments of the year, I would say. Um, They donated their second playing kit to the team from Madagascar. Before their match against the side, they found out their rivals had turned up to the tournament with just one kit for both training and competition, having self-funded their participation in the comp. So the Aussie girls shared a moment in the change rooms with Madagascar when they handed over their green jersey, which features their Indigenous design, to Madagascar to use as training gear. It was really, really cool. Yeah, all the feels watching that. Yeah. Awesome from the girls. I loved that. Also, self-funding, like, The Aussie girls did not show the same kind of compassion on the field. Um, they, they put them to the sword 48-0. Jet, Faith, Nathan became the first player to score five tries for Australia in a Rugby World Cup sevens game during the match. Five tries. Epic. She's got some wheels, Faith, She's doesn't she? quick. Quick. This episode is brought to you by Under Armour Combine. UA Combine is a new training competition open to all athletes wanting to test their limits. The first event is held in Sydney on Saturday, the 17th of September. Register now and get your free competitor kit by visiting uacombineau.com. In soccer, in front of a solid crowd of 26,997, look, we'll call it 27,000. Mm-hmm. The materials again produced what was can only be described as an incons- inconsistent performance. They absolutely dominated Canada in the, Canada in the first half of Tuesday night's rematch. We one of the best 45 minutes of football under coach Tony Gustafsson. The Aussies were exceptional early and they were awarded with a goal in just the third minute. Sam Kerr's diagonal run into the box was met with a deft pass from Courtney Vine and the Chelsea superstar managed to squirt a low cross straight into the path of Mary Fowler for an easy finish from the centre of the box. Caitlin Ford was also excellent and had a penalty shout waved away in the 37th minute that I was shouting for too just quietly. And the Matildas really should have gone into halftime more than 1-0 up. The second half was a completely different kettle of bananas. Canada were all over us. They scored in the 48th and the 62nd minutes um, with Manchester United's winger Adriana Leon bearing both opportunities. The match finished 2-1 and the pressure on the Matildas and their coach, Gustavin, is building. It's only 10 months from a home World Cup and given the interest in spectacular soccer on display in the recent 
European Cup, all eyes will be on the tournament. The Matildas are a real chance at home if they can get their best 11 on the field and remove the errors in defence that are definitely hurting them right now. And the level of pressure that comes with a home World Cup because of the opportunities, like if they don't perform, it kind of is an event. It's never going to be an event, a FIFA World Cup that's forgotten about, but the level of impact that they can have if they perform successfully is exponential. And there's no way they're not, the players aren't aware of that mm. kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Canada won gold in Tokyo. Yeah, defending I think Olympic they're top champions. Part, they're, they're fifth in the world. And our next opponent is Sweden, who I think are fourth in the world. Mm. They're all, they all want to come here and they're all doing test runs for the World Cup. So mm-hmm. we're getting to play them, which is great. Yeah. They want to, you know, see the stadiums, know what it's like to travel so far <laughs> down here in Australia, so far away. Ride a kangaroo to school. So, look, it's, it's, it's good opposition, but the reality is that, you know, I think Australia expects the Matildas to at least be in the semis, and that's big pressure. And I think I often talk about winning being a habit. You want to play against quality opposition, but you also want to prepare for a tournament as big as the World Cup with some wins under your belt so that you know that level of game management and control as well. Absolutely. Gustafsson said after the match that externally, when you see us losing, maybe there starts to be a lack of faith or lack of hope or lack of belief. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's a difference between expectations and belief. When I took over this team, I believed in it. I said, I think this team in the future could become one of the best teams in the world. We're not there now. We need to be real. We're not the best team in the world right now, but we know when we play our best, we can beat the best team in the world in a one-off, especially if we have all the players available and we're firing. How do you feel about that, Chad? I from- don't like one off because yeah. I'm talking about when you knew exactly what I was going to say. I talk about winning being a habit. The best athletes and the best teams in the world are consistent. Consistency is my other word. I don't care about a one off. I don't like one off. I think I always just applied for the Matilda's coaching role, everyone. We will have another <laughs> chance to get the group firing when Sweden travel to Australia, as we said, for a friendly on Saturday, the 12th of November. It, it, is, it must be frustrating for the team as well because when they're good, they're really, really good. It's there. It's absolutely there. In basketball, the WNBA finals have been set and game one was played on Monday. The finals will see the Las Vegas Aces take on the Connecticut Sun in the best of five series. The Las Vegas Aces beat the Storm 97-92. Bez is a little bit devastated. In game four of their semifinal series on Tuesday last week to advance to the finals. The loss for the Storm saw the retirement of Sue Bird, who helped the Storm make the playoffs for the 16th time in the 19 seasons she played. Dope. When we talk about consistency, 16 from 19 finals appearances is out of control. I think you spell consistency S-U-E. Mm-hmm. She's amazing, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She's 41, um, one of Lauren Jackson's best mates. Hey, we haven't talked about this. The Lauren Jackson podcast episode is dropping this week. Can't wait. I cannot believe the fact that I, like, I grew up playing basketball. I wanted to be Lauren Jackson. I wanted to follow in her footsteps and go to four Olympics. I haven't, was- I haven't listened to it yet because you did it only recently. But I just, like on a scale of one to ridiculous, how much did you fangirl? I had to try really hard to be smooth, but I wasn't very smooth. I was pretty nervous. I, the thing that I loved the most about it is she, she was so open and honest with me and she just seems very laid back. She's got this 
really interesting perspective about life and about basketball now, I think like after retiring, going away, having kids and coming back, she's just so thankful for every opportunity. It was, it was a seriously cool chat. So that'll be dropping Thursday this week. Heard it here first. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Cause I haven't listened to it and I'm actually really pumped. Too. <laughs> anyway, the reason I segued into that Lauren Jackson on the podcast actually was in tears when she talked about her best friend, Sue Bird retiring and the impact that Sue has had on the game. So Sue announced in June that she'd retire after the season and the loss on her home court marked the end of an incredible era. As uh, fans cheered and chanted, thank you, Sue, Bird stood on the court and cried. At a post-game presser, she said that she hadn't wanted to leave the court so that she could soak it all in, and then she started to cry again. I know the tears don't look like happy tears, but there's a lot of happiness. The loss means that Ezzy Magbegor and Steph Talbot, the Aussies, are going to be able to join their Opals team earlier than if the Storm progressed to the finals. So there's a bit of silver lining in the lead up to the World Cup kicking off on September 22nd. Huge. Huge. In the second semifinal, the Connecticut Sun overcame an 11-point deficit. Those numbers aren't even close. In the fourth quarter, beating the Chicago Sky 72-63 to in their Game 5 clash. This is outrageous what happened here. You tell us. Connecticut scored the final 18 points of the game. It was huge. It was like, it was like Chicago happened? just left the court. What happened? Oh, we're done. We're out. So they were down... 63 to 54, they win 72 to 63. It was strange. Yeah. There was talk of Candace Parker walking off the court early. There was a lot going on. Anyway, the other cool stat in regards to the WNBA is the Chicago Sky, obviously disappointed, but they were attempting to become the first team to repeat as WNBA champions since the LA Sparks in 2001. So no one's gone back to back for 20 years, over 20 years. It's a long time. Yeah. Let's take a look at the key story. In surfing. So we said it last week. We called it. I, this, that's really selfish to say that. Steph Gilmore did all the work. She also had a little bit of a sign from a, a double grape tomato. Obviously must have been having salad or something the day before. And there was like a tomato that came and it was in, it was connected together like little baby grape tomatoes in the shape of an eight. And she would put it on her Instagram. She was like, this could be a sign. And it was a sign. So it was either us or the tomato. Unsure. Tomato. Definitely us. Anyway, we said if anyone could win the world title from fifth, it was Stephanie Gilmore, and she did not let us down. Gilmore hit the water first at Lower Trestles in California and defeated Brissa Hennessy, Tatiana Weston-Webb, and finally Joanne DeFay in three sudden death heats. That earned her the right to face off against world number one Carissa Moore in a best-of-three heat battle. Moore was the defending champ and was looking to secure her sixth world title, but Gilmore had the momentum and she was dominant in the first heat posting a 15-point total to beat Moore, who could only post 10.9 from her two best waves. A win in Heat 2 would seal a record eighth world title for Gilmore and the GOAT could not be stopped. The surfing was just incredible. Like she looks so smooth, so in control. Consistent. Uh, yeah, I think it, it is. It's, it's possibly not a bad shout to say that actually surfing all day, and yes, she had to surf three sudden death heats before mm-hmm. a best of three. So it's a long day. They're, they're long heats. It's, mm. it's pretty taxing. But I think there's something to be said for she was obviously used to the conditions and, yeah. you know, just at one with the wave. Nice. So zen. Surfing is zen. So zen. And she was just too good for Chris again in that second heat, winning 15.23 to 11.97. The victory means that Gilmore is now on top of the world title list. 
with her win taking her past Lane Beachley. After claiming the 2018 world title, Gilmore had spent four years level with her childhood idol on seven titles apiece. The journey to goatness is now complete. I really enjoy that sentence. It's one of your best, actually. Gilmore's eight world titles span three separate decades, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 18, and 22, and it's only eclipsed by male surfer Kelly Slater, who has 11. She's also won the most WSL events of any women with 33 and is the only surfer to win a world title in their debut season. Gilmore was super humble after the final, heaping praise on Moore when she said, I was really proud to make it past Brissa, Tatiana, Joanne, all of the most awesome female surfers in the world into the final against Carissa, who in my mind, she's the real world champ this year. She had such a stellar year, so many wonderful performances, and I'm so inspired by what she does. When asked about the somewhat controversial format, which is only in its second year, Gilmore noted her opinion may have changed after her win. I dislike this format, to be honest. The world champ should be crowned in all different waves over the entire period of the year. And now I love it. I have a, <laughs> I have a chance. Let's just prove this whole system is wrong. If you can come from the bottom, come from fifth and win a world title, that's freaking cool. I like that she changed her mind and she owned it. Yeah. Because I, I haven't decided on the format thing whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter what I think. But I, it's kind of tricky because do you reward someone performing that well throughout the entire season or do you reward the person like Steph who rocks up on the day and wins sudden death after sudden death? It does feel to me as someone that's watched surfing for a while that it's a made-for-TV yes. product. Which – Sport is a business at the end of the day. You know, there was. There was watching Steph go on that run. Obviously, unfortunately, it was in the middle of the morning for us, but I did get to see – I've taped it all. It's compelling television. Mm-hmm. There's, I definitely see there's, there's positive and ne- negatives to the event for sure. I think regardless of what she said about Carissa, she's probably selling herself a little bit short. Given the challenges that she faced this season, she missed Pipeline in Hawaii after testing positive to COVID and then had a poor result in the following event at Sunset Beach. Those results left her concerned that she might fall victim to the mid-season cut. But like a true champion, she fought hard and in her own words, I just had to crawl my way back into the cut. It was such an impressive effort from a true champion. I love this. Lane Beachley weighed into the debate on a Tracks Magazine Instagram post that had the caption, the greatest female surfer of all time. Beachley's simple comment on that post was legend. Are we allowed to swear on this? I don't know. Bad words. Language Maybe warning. a beep in there, followed by eight trophy emojis. We agree, Lane. We agree. I also loved I sent you um, Carissa's post not long after Steph had been waxing lyrical about how she felt Carissa was, you know, the deserved world champion. And Carissa was like, she basically said, shut up, Steph. You rip. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Let's take a look at what to watch. Our AFLW match of the round is the Sunday afternoon matchup between the Melbourne Demons and the Brisbane Lions. It could be a grand final preview given both teams red hot form over the first three rounds. Head out to Casey Fields in Melbourne, windy, windy city, or watch live on the Seven Network or Foxtel. The match starts at 4.10pm. It's the last round before finals for the NRLW and all three matches we played on Sunday at Central Coast Stadium in Gosford. Three games of league back-to-back. What more could you ask for? 
Game one kicks off at 12.05pm. There will be semi-final spots on the line and the last match between the Dragons and Knights will be a cracker. The three games will be live on the Nine Network and Foxtel. The WNBA final series is going to be epic. You can catch the games between the Las Vegas Aces and Connecticut Sun on ESPN. Game two is tomorrow, Wednesday at 11am Australian Eastern Standard Time. And finally, in cycling, the 2022 UCI Road World Championships begin on Sunday, September 18. You can watch the action live from Wollongong on Stan Sport or get down to the gong and cheer on some people in Lycra. All races across the two-week program are live on Stan. And that's the wrap. That's the wrap. Hey, I wanted to quickly say, walking around at our game, Giants v Swans, um, I think I saw four women play sports tees and two equal play hoodies. How good. Strangers in the crowd, not even people I knew. It was so cool. That's awesome. Got to chat to a couple of people who came up and said hello and how much they love TFAP. It was, it was a cool day. That is. Thefemaleathleteproject.com forward slash shop. See you there. See you next week. See you next week, friend. Bye. Bye.